Last week, we looked at the idea of being a person of integrity. We're talking about uniquely his is what we're talking about. And we looked at the story of David and how he was running from Saul and Saul went in a cave to relieve himself. And David happened to be in the next stall, I said. And so David had the opportunity to kill him. And his men were like, God's put him there, get him. He's, it's self-defense, he's out to get you, get him first. God has placed him there and David would not do it because no matter what it looked like, Saul was still the anointed of God. And David knew, you don't touch the king, you don't touch God's anointed. And so when that happened, David said, no, I'm not going to do that. And we kind of ended up saying, if you want to reach your destiny, you've got to be a person of integrity. It doesn't matter what the atmosphere looks like. If I have to compromise my beliefs in God, or if I have to compromise my own beliefs or, or that I stand on the word of God, then it's not worth it, whatever the case may be. So one of the most important decisions you'll ever make is who to offend. And as I, let me, let me preface this by saying, as I often do, I ran out of time over there. So I'm finishing up last week's and then I'll start on this week's and I'll tell you when that's going to happen. So we're last week, but one of the most important decisions you're going to make in life is making is ever make as to who you're going to offend. Here's the bottom line. You're going to offend somebody. It's just, that's the way it happens. You're going to offend somebody along the way. Make sure that that somebody is not God. I'm guessing that David's compadres were sick of running just as much as David was. And they were saying, take him out. You're king. We can go home and rejoice. And David said, no. I'm sure they got offended over that. He didn't heed their advice. But this integrity that David had said, I'm gonna follow God's plan. I'm not following, I don't care how many of you gang up against me, I'm not doing things that are not in line with God's plan. And so the fear of God, it, it, standing in reverence and awe of God, not scared of him, but the fear of God is the first sign of a fine-tuned conscience. So I trust God, I respect God, I honor God, and so I listen to God. And I'm trying to hear his voice, and that's part of our conscience and this fine-tuned conscience, the desire to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord is motivated because he is an all-powerful God. He's a great God. We stand in awe of him. Yes, that's part of it, but also it goes down to I'm also the apple of his eye. I also have a relationship with him, and so I want to do what pleases him. And so David was more concerned about offending God than offending his friends, as I think this lesson bears out that we should. He cared more about the reputation, I guess we could say, of God or the kingdom of God than he cared about his own reputation and what everybody else thought of him. He wanted to be in the plan and will of God. This was the opposite of Saul. Watch this. 1 Samuel 14, 35, it says, And Saul built an altar unto the Lord. The same was the first altar that he built unto the Lord. Somewhere between 1 Samuel 14, 35, and let's go to 1 Samuel 15, 12, and it says, And when Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, it was told Samuel's saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set him up a place and has gone about and passed on and gone down to Gilgal. Can I read that in the NIV real quick, this, that one portion? It says, Saul has gone to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor and has turned and gone down on, on, has gone on down to Gilgal. Somewhere in there, 
From 1 Samuel 14, Saul was building monuments to God. And between that and 1 Samuel 15, he started building monuments to himself. Pride is often the byproduct of insecurity. Okay, and so he was, Saul was very insecure in who he was as king. And we'll look at that a little bit further in just a moment. So the more insecure you are, the more monuments you need to build to yourself. Because I'm not stable in who I am in Jesus Christ. And so I have to impress everybody. So I have to prove something to everybody. And so I have to build monuments to me so that you see it. So, oh, isn't he somebody? And so that's what Saul was doing. And so the question I pose really quickly before we get into tonight's Bible study, hopefully we'll make it. Are you building altars to God or monuments to yourself? Whose reputation are you more concerned with, yours or his? Tough questions that need to be answered by all of us. If you care more about your own reputation than building monuments to yourself, that's what you're going to do. Your relationship with God then is even self-serving. If I care that this is my church and I'm the pastor of this church, if that's my attitude, then this church becomes a monument to me and it doesn't work for the kingdom of God. That's not how we go about these things, serving ourselves. Even sometimes we guise this by saying that, oh, it's, a, it's the work of the kingdom. Is it really the work of the kingdom or is it a way to promote yourself in the kingdom? Very careful how we do this. You're, you're, you're really serving, not serving his purpose. You're practicing somewhat, can I say, a selfish spirituality that wants God to serve your purposes God, I want you to bless me, not for the sake of the kingdom. I want you to bless me for the sake of me. We're never going to say that. But I wonder how many times that, acts, that action is put out and we act it out. I should say it like that. There's a name for that when I build altars to, or monuments to myself. It's called idolatry. If David had killed Saul to assume the throne it's very possible that throne would have become a place of idolatry for him. It would have been an idol in his life. He was the rightful heir to the throne. He was already anointed, but that never excuses compromise. It never excuses skipping steps. It never excuses getting outside from the order God has ordained. For Saul, it was the downfall was he, he started comparing himself to David. It's his, its results in either pride or jealousy is what happens when you start comparing yourself to everybody else. And both of them end with compromising your integrity. Because comparison will, cut, will sabotage your destiny by undermining your integrity. Because if I start to compare myself with everybody... I either become jealous or I become puffed up in myself and I serve myself and so therefore I want to be better than everybody else and I want to do better than everybody else for simply the sake of looking better than everybody else. This is why this is so, we, this is hard. This is a tightrope we have to get on because there's nothing wrong with doing great things for the kingdom of God. I think that is important and people are gifted and have callings and that's wonderful that they do that. But to what is the expense that they're doing it? And for what is the motive that they're doing it? 
Saul fell because of the constant comparison and it sabotaged and undermined his integrity. Most of us spend most of our lives trying to prove ourselves to people when we all we have to do is prove ourselves to one. We live for the audience of one. If you live with integrity, then God will approve you. And God will not only prove himself to you, he'll prove you to everybody else. You don't need to try to do it your own on your own. You let God do what he wants to do in your life. The greatest freedom, one of the greatest freedoms you can have is realizing that you don't have to prove anything to anybody except God. This goes back to the whole of the series I taught on Jesus loves you. Rest in that, that Jesus loves me. I'm trying to please him. And really, please hear me out. It doesn't matter what one other person on the face of the planet thinks about me. Because if I'm doing what he wants, everything else will fall in line and it will work out okay. Maybe it's time to quit taking the credit so you can quit taking the blame. Maybe it's time to quit proving yourself to people and start proving yourself to God. Maybe it's time to quit building monuments to ourselves and start building altars to God. I posed the question at the very beginning last week, describe yourself in one word. And I ask you again, as we end up last week's Bible lesson, who are you? Do you have integrity? It's what's going to keep you and to hold you. Welcome to the sanctuary. I'm glad you're here tonight. Let's start with tonight's Bible study. We have 26 minutes, 36 minutes. Let's hang on tight. No one likes to be embarrassed. Everybody agree? We avoid embarrassment at all costs. <laughs> I'm going to, you're going to have to hang on because it's going to get wild here for a minute. But let's think this theory through. Maybe we need to be embarrassed sometimes for the same reason we need to fail sometimes. It keeps us humble. And humility is another key to fulfilling our destiny that we're talking about this year. Here's a simple truth. God doesn't do what God does because of us. God does what God does in spite of us. All we have to do, get out of the way. Let God be God. Let God work. We stay out of the way by staying humble. Well, I want to make sure they know that I, that was the sermon I preached. I know somebody copied it, but that was my sermon first. I want them to know that. Or they preached that sermon God gave to me, wonderful. They re which, trust me, it never happened to me. Somebody else, they re preached a sermon and wonderful things happened in that. Great, it's the kingdom, folks. Maybe that's how we ought to look at it because we can stay humble in this. We stay out of the way. So embarrassing moments are like, can I call them spiritual antioxidants? Some of them cause us to cringe. Others make us laugh. They help us to come to terms with who we are and sometimes who we're not. Embarrassing moments, they're horrible. I hate them. I hate the feeling of them. But they force to, to help us stop taking ourselves so seriously. In a sense, maybe embarrassment is one way we die to ourselves. 
So you're preaching, we just need to go out and get embarrassed as much as we can. No, you'll do that on your own. It's just what are you going to do with it? And if we look at it in a different way, the words humor, humiliation, humility, they're all related. Humor, they say, is a derivative of humiliation. One dimension of humility is the ability to be able to laugh at yourself. Default emotions, have you ever done these? Default emotions many times is anger. Have you ever watched somebody get embarrassed? And immediately, that stupid son of a They're fussing and cussing. It's like, they're not mad. They're embarrassed. But what's the emotion for embarrassed? Shame and, oh my goodness, humility. We're not gonna do that. We're gonna have rough and tough. So if I had my tennis shoes on, I'd have caught that ball. No, you wouldn't have. On and on, we make excuses because we're embarrassed and we slide back into a default emotion of anger. Maybe that's showing us something about ourselves. Some of our youth are with us in here and I'm gonna tell on them for a, a moment. They can hear me and they still won't change this because they really can't. There's two phenomenons that happen in the teen years that are absolutely fascinating to me. One's called a personal fable. One's called an imaginary audience. Personal fable is simply this. No one has ever been through this in their entire life. If I broke up with my girlfriend, no one in all of time has ever hurt as bad as I've hurt. It's a personal fable. And I can talk to them and they're still gonna say that to you, but that's just part of a phenomenon. Not laughing, making fun in any way, please forgive me, I don't, I don't want you to feel embarrassed, but a personal fable. Also comes with a personal fable is it will never happen to them. They can text and drive with five kids in the car. They're a safe driver. It will, they'll never wreck. They're a better driver than everybody. That's a personal fable. But then the next phenomenon that happens is something called an imaginary audience. Imaginary audience is everybody at all times always is looking at them and assessing them and trying to find something dumb that they have done to call them out on and embarrass them because then what you have is you have personal fable, and imaginary audience. Now put these two together and think of this. Everybody at all times is watching me and assessing everything I do. And everything that happens to me, nobody on the planet has ever experienced. This is why teenagers are tired all the time. Because 24-7, 365 days a year, you know what their goal in life is? Not to be embarrassed. This is why when your child comes to church and they have on black pants and they accidentally wore blue socks they couldn't tell in their dark bedroom until they got to church, it ruins the service for them. They have their feet under the pews in the dark. They don't come to the altar. Why? Because everybody in the church saw that they have on blue socks with black pants and it was over the top for them. So let me do a little parenting on this. Don't embarrass them. Try not to embarrass them. They're working hard not to be embarrassed, so don't do it. I've watched some parents, that's their goal in life is to embarrass, embarrass oh. We're not gonna go down this road, we'll get fired up here. We're gonna stick to our notes tonight. The point being is there's embarrassing things. None of us like to feel that. And what I'm saying is some of us haven't moved real far from our teenage years emotionally where that's the case for us too. 
constantly being assessed, constantly being watched, constantly thinking these things through. And I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be embarrassed. So a lot of people live life as if the purpose of life is to avoid embarrassment. And so when that happens, and I'm going someplace, you're going to have to hear me out. We're going to walk slowly here for a moment. But if you're coming and your, your goal in life is never to be embarrassed, then you'll never put yourself in situations that might be awkward. So maybe they forfeit joy because of that. You'll never reveal yourself to somebody really because it may be too embarrassing. So you forfeit closeness and intimacy with people. You never take risks because you could fail and that would be embarrassing. So you forfeit possible massive opportunities in your life. The biggest problem is not necessarily just our life and may forfeit some intimacy and joy and opportunities. The biggest problem is too often we allow the fear of embarrassment to come between us and God. We're too embarrassed to share our faith or confront a friend or walk away from a sinful situation. When they're talking that way, just stand up and excuse yourself. Well, I just stand there and just act like I'm not listening. Are you a person of integrity? Why don't we stand up and walk? Well, it'd be embarrassing. Exactly. Why don't you? I remember one time my mom, we were in a restaurant with her, and she's one of those. She's no holds barred. She'll palm ahead in the middle of the grocery store. In the name of Jesus. She's been over and praying for neighbors that were fighting. She grabs her, get a hold of my hands, and rebuking devils and that's just who she is. I remember out to eat with her one time and she looked across and somebody caught her eye and she's like, I, boy, I don't know what to do with that person. She said, I just need to, just, her heart was going out to her and me and all of my great wisdom and spirituality, I said, you probably need to mind your own business, what you need to do. <laughs> as a kid, smack as an adult, say it again, yeah. Why did I say that? Because if she would have got up and went to the next table, it would have embarrassed me. And obviously, the kingdom is about me. Obviously, I didn't want her to do that, to go pray for somebody, because that's a bad thing to pray for people. Because it would have hurt my pride a little bit, I guess. Or, do you understand where I'm going here? This is some of the problems with embarrassment. There are certain situations where embarrassment is the only way you can remain faithful to God and you can remain a person of integrity. Sometimes it's either be embarrassed or be a hypocrite. That's the choice you're in. Sometimes it's either be embarrassed or sin. That's what you got yourself in and that's where you are. Sometimes it's embarrassment or disobedience. That's where you are when certain circumstances happen. What are you going to choose? Let's go to the Bible, okay? Let's look at 2 Samuel 6.22. David's talking to his wife, and he's not a happy camper. And he says, and I will yet be more vile than this, and will be based in mine own sight, and of the maidservants which thou hast spoken of, of them which shall I be had in honor. This is David's crowning moment. 
He had defeated the Philistines. He had recaptured Zion. He had been anointed the king of Israel. He's bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. Think of the biggest ticker tape parade you have ever ma imagined in your life. The fanfare, the pomp, the circumstance, the, the, the who's who was there. And here they are in all their royalty walking down and the ark of God was coming ahead of them and everything was going according to plan. Secret service was in place and everybody was happy and candy was being given out and hugs and kisses were thrown and everything was perfect. And then David throws everything out the window and David starts taking his clothes off. David, <laughs> you're in the street not in your house. David starts disrobing. Then he starts dancing like a little kid with not a care in the world out there in front of God and everybody. I'm certain at that time some of the dignitaries were not sure exactly what to think. I'm sure some of the secret service were like, oh, we got a problem. I don't know if somebody has doped him up. We, we, what? And here's David just in having the time of his life out on the street. 2 Samuel 6, 16. And as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. Ticked her off. She despised him in her heart. When you get excited about God... Don't expect everybody else to get excited about God. Some people will be inspired by what's going on and God is doing in your life. Other people mask their conviction of what's happening in your life by criticism. After all, it's much easier to criticize than come grab your hand and dance with you. It's much easier to criticize than rejoice with those who rejoice. And so that's exactly what happened. He was down there rejoicing before God that the ark was coming home and she's up there in her little pomp and circumstance snarling her nose at her and criticizing him. 2 Samuel 6, 20, then David returned to bless his household and Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, oh, the sarcasm here, how glorious was the king of Israel today. Stripped down to your underclothes, out there dancing like a fool in the street in front of all the slave girls, in front of all the servants. What in the world is wrong with you? Verse 21, and David said unto Michael, it was before the Lord. In other words, it didn't matter what anybody else thought. This wasn't a me and God thing. It was before the Lord which chose me. Before your daddy ever stepped foot in this palace. And before all his house was chosen, God chose me to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord over Israel. Therefore, I'll play before the Lord. And that's when he says, I'll do it even more vile. I don't care. I'll abase myself. David's inauguration day. There was added pressure to David to act like a king because everybody was out there. And he needed to walk like a king and dress like a king and the reputation to protect, a crown to represent. 
Michael King's daughter, he, she stood and she looked it from the palace because she grew up in the palace. She knew protocol. David could not care less about protocol. His only care was making sure that God was celebrated and he could be and as he could be and should be, even if it meant embarrassing himself. He was going to make sure everybody knew that God did this and God was to be praised. Those royal robes represented David's identity, his security as the king of Israel, David's authority, his status symbol. David doesn't find his identity or security in his royalty. David finds his true identity and true security as a worshiper of God. He finds his identity and his security in the king of kings. Can I tell all of us here this day? Sometimes we have to be stripped of the things we find our identity in. We have to let go of the things we find our security in. Because often only in losing ourselves do we truly find ourselves. I'm going to push on you hard here. What are your royal robes? Is there something you find your identity or insecurity in outside of your relationship with Jesus? That's called an idol. Is your identity based on who you are? What you can do with what Jesus has done for you. <laughs> what you have. You see, discovering your identity and security in Christ alone. He becomes your identity. He becomes your security. Okay, we're going to dig harder. Here's the tricky thing about this. Hear me out. The idol is often something God has given you. God is the one who anointed David king. And all the blessings of all of that came to David. One of those gifts was his royal robes. It came with the position of being king. God gives each of us gifts too. And if we aren't careful, the gift can become more important than the one who gave it to us. That's when our gift becomes our idol. The blessing becomes a curse. Your singing ability, your speaking ability, your sharp business mind, your large bank account, your creativity, your ability to work, your intelligence, all of that came from God and it can become an idol if we don't use it for his glory. If there is any place where you should be able to be yourself, it's in a church. The church ought to be a place where we can confess our deepest doubts and our worst sins and our wildest dreams you know as well as I, being raised in this 
Church is often a place where we act like everything is okay. Because I want everybody to see me in a certain light. So really, I can't come to the altar because I don't want someone thinking the pastor has sin in his heart. The enemy wants us to keep our secrets because that's how he keeps us in solitary confinement. But if we ever have the courage to confess, we find that the greatest freedom is having nothing to hide. Have you ever had those dreams? I guess I had bad pepperoni pizza one time. I've had dreams a couple times, and no, I don't know why, because I've never run from law or been in trouble that I'm aware of, but I've had dreams before like I robbed a bank. And I had a dream they hadn't caught me yet. I'm never going to rob a bank because of those dreams, one, but because I don't want to, but it's wrong. But I've had those dreams to where I could not, I mean, I was, I remember in my sleep, I was just like, they're going to catch me. They're going to catch me. I was, I was like I, trying to hide. I was, oh, I couldn't catch my breath. I was nervous. Oh, what a glorious morning when I woke up from that thing. I was like, oh, it keeps me on the straight and narrow. I don't like that feeling. That guilt and that condemnation and that, oh, they're going to catch me looking over my shoulder and trying to figure out. David didn't hide behind his royal robes. David wasn't trying to be king. David was, was trying to be David. And nothing takes more courage than that. Disrobing is the courage to reveal who we are and who we're not. When we try to be who we're not, it's a no-win situation. That burden of pretense, trying to remember who I am because I'm not true to myself, is a burden that just grows immensely. We can't bear it usually for very long without cracking up because we can't let down our guard. We can't relax our image and we become trapped by the lie. And I dare say that sometimes we become the lie because we lose who we are because we can't be true with everybody because there's a pretense. Have you ever heard those people? I've heard people, they even when they talk, it's just like, that ain't your real voice. Do you talk like that at the breakfast table? Pasha cereal. It's just like, and they may, but, and I stand corrected. I don't think, and I often wonder, it could be, and please, I'm not trying to, that sounds very disrespectful, and it probably was, so I apologize. I'm not trying to be disrespectful. I'm just trying to say something to where maybe it's a habit of theirs, but you understand, are we truly us? Do you truly hide behind everything? What are you trying to hide? What are you trying? It, it takes tremendous courage to disrobe like David. Because as with Adam and Eve, our ancient instinct is to cover our nakedness with what we can do. That's why emotional nakedness is so rare and spiritual nakedness is even 
rarer, if that's the right word. Maybe it's because we don't like ourselves, we don't trust ourselves, we don't, we, we don't want people to know us, we're embarrassed, I don't know. But here's what I want you to hear from all of this. God's atonement covers us with grace that we don't have to cover ourselves with fig leaves. A.W. Tozer said it this way, the rest God offers is the rest of meekness, the blessed relief which comes when we accept ourselves for what we are and we cease to pretend. God wants you. Jesus loves you. He died for you. I think that's one of the reasons we love the psalm so much. There's not a lot of pretense there. You go through it. I will bless the Lord at all times. I'm on top of the mountain and, and this is wonderful. If I, oh, if I could, God, kill all my enemies, kill them. I've had it. I've cried all night long. I can't stand it any longer. And then, oh, I am a wretch. I'm a sinner. God, forgive me. Purge me with hyssop that I shall be clean. Meditate. Oh, God, fix this. And then I will dance before the Lord. There's just, it's who he was. If I were writing the Bible, I'd take a lot of stories out. We wouldn't need a year to read it. We'd take three weeks because I'd take a lot of stories out. But it sometimes shows the good, the bad, and the ugly. The way you see yourself is often determined by what, your base, what you base your identity on. And you have lots of choices, how you look, who you know, what you do, how much you make, titles or degrees, what you wear, what you drive. We base our identities on something and we base our identities on all, on, on what we base them on will make us or break us spiritually. Think of this theory. The more you have going for you, the more potential you have for identity issues. If I'm broke, ugly, nothing going for me, you know, it just, I, I rely on I can arm wrestle good. I, no, I can't even do that, so. But if you can sing, if you can preach, if you can teach, if you can, uh, you run a business, you're a multimillionaire, you drive fancy cars, you have big houses, there's a lot to rely on. I'm not saying anything's wrong with any of that stuff. But our identities can get skewed a lot easier. The greatest blessings can become the greatest curses simply because they undermine our reliance on God. A brilliant mind, a charming smile, all of those things. Let me, let me ask you this question. Who made Lucifer beautiful and wise? Trick question, no. Who created Lucifer beautiful and wise? God did. So beauty and wisdom should have been a catalyst to worship the creator. But instead of worshiping God, Lucifer wanted the worship. Lucifer wanted the monuments built. You have to understand the creator has hardwired us to worship the question is, who will we worship? Identity issues are the result of worshiping the wrong thing. 
How much are we hidden? How much do we hold on to ourselves? How much do we don't want anybody else to see who we truly are? Because I have an image to uphold to everybody else. No, you have one thing to do, and that's to please God Almighty and bear yourself before him is exactly the only thing you have to do. David had a choice to make as he entered Jerusalem. Absorb the adoration of all the people cheering and shouting and dancing and chanting his name. Or he could simply deflect that praise to God, disrobe and dance before the Lord with all the rest of the people. David was simply saying, I'm just like everybody else. We're just going to be worshipers today. Look at the people Jesus celebrates. Hey, because we, we understand that God doesn't really care, as David didn't then, God doesn't really care about protocol. If he did, Jesus would have chosen the Pharisees to go with him. He'd have picked the high and mighty of the time if he cared about protocol and cared about prestige and honor and royalty and nice stuff. That's what he would have chosen. But God is looking for those who are so desperate for him that they will go to ridiculous extremes to worship him. Look at some of these people in the Bible that Jesus celebrates. Fishermen who Jesus walking by. Follow me. Dropped everything. Somebody's going to steal your business. Some, have you got a 401k set up? What in the world? How, what is this going to work? How is this going to work? They didn't question one thing. Dropped it and followed him. That's who he celebrated. A prostitute crashes a party at a preacher's house. That was a fun day. That's who he celebrates. A disciple who jumps out of the boat and swims to Jesus as fast as he could because he saw Jesus on the shore. Four friends who did the first airlift ever recorded in history when they got on the roof and took that guy up there and let him down through the roof, tore the roof up in front of Jesus. That's who he celebrates. A distinguished tax collector in his three-piece suit, but he climbs a tree and scuffed his $500 shoes and ripped his $1,000 suit pants, but he wanted to see Jesus. That's who Jesus celebrated. Because you see, religion's all about protocol. We sing three songs, we do this, we do that, we, 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 we smile at one another and we go home and feel like we've checked the box off. Following Jesus He's all about desperation. Desperate, desperate people take desperate measures. David needed God. He knew he was just a shepherd when God found him. That's all he was. He was forgotten by life and everybody else. And then he had to run for his life and God preserved him. He understood all that. David wasn't just hungry after God. David said, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul longs for thee, O God. He was desperate for God. And that desperation led him to disrobing and throwing everything down and saying, I'm going to dance before God for what he's done for me. Let's go back full circle. We hate being embarrassed. But are you willing to do things that may feel a little awkward, like kneel at an altar until snot gets all over the pew and all over the carpet? Are you willing to 
obey that crazy prompting by the Holy Ghost? Or are you willing to have that tough conversation with that friend you need to confront? If you are, then God can use you. And the more God, watch this, the more God uses you, the easier it is to think that you're above and beyond putting yourself in awkward situations. But if you ever lose your raw dependence upon God, you lose his power and it's all about you. Comfort. I'm making it all uncomfortable now, aren't I? But comfort impedes spiritual growth. Our attempts to create comfortable environments often produce immature disciples. In our efforts to create comfortable services, we do a great disservice to people who desperately need God. Breakthroughs happen as a result of awkwardness. The blind man, hey, Jesus, shut up. Jesus, he made it very awkward, but he got his healing. The lady who should have never been out of her house because she was unclean, going through that crowd, knocked down, dust in her face and spitting dirt out of her mouth and people stepping on her fingers, trying to touch the hem of his garment. But when she did, there was a breakthrough and it was awkward that she did that, but there was a powerful breakthrough. And then tearing off the roof. Don't do that here. But I wonder if the building got full if somebody was that desperate that they're willing to do whatever they can and saw a hole in the roof just to get in here to be able to feel the touch of God and to be healed. Well, that's really not protocol. It costs a lot of money there. When you're desperate, you really don't care about money. You really don't care about protocol. You really don't care about what people think about you. Doing the will of God is almost always accompanied by feelings of awkwardness and uneasiness and unreadiness. But that one small step to say, yes, I'll obey, is a gigantic leap into the direction of your destiny. Can I say it like this? The only thing between you and your destiny is awkwardness. Taking off your royal robes. Losing your alter ego. And step into your destiny. By risking embarrassment. No one has ever got healed outside of a church building. Unless someone went up to them. And said I want to pray for you. And a miracle happened. And then, give them a mic. We testify and we shout and dance. It never would have happened until someone stepped out of their comfort zone and became a little awkward. 
I, I'm, I'll be cautious here. I've got two minutes and then I'll run out before you stone me. But I'll be very cautious here. But I think we need to be careful with this whole thing of seeker-friendly churches. Should visitors feel comfortable? Absolutely. Should they be loved? Absolutely. This is the body of Christ. Should they feel like they're part of us the second they walk in the building? Absolutely. And we're working to do that. We honor them. We love them. And they're guests of ours. And we want to do all that we can. But if they can come to an apostolic church time and time and time and time and time again, and there's never a change. I wonder if we're having an apostolic church. I pray the day comes, conviction is so strong in here that you either run to the altar or you run to the doors. Because people have got to encounter Jesus and it gets awkward. People have got to disrobe and lay the stuff down that they've carried in here and it gets a little awkward. But oh, the miracles that happen when we're in touch with Jesus, just raw and open before him. So next year's theme, I'm not going to tell you. But it's going to be part of this where we're going to push hard to get outside of our comfort zones. I heard a statement that just rattled me and I didn't like it, but I loved it. Let's learn to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Just learn it as the norm. What's the worst thing that can happen if I invite somebody to church? They would say no. The world will still turn. But it may embarrass us. Do you understand what we're doing here? This is not about us. This is about him. Laying my pretense down. Laying my pedigree down. Laying, I'm the pastor of the sanctuary and I, I can't do those things. God forbid that I'd ever become something that I'm not. I simply want to be Mitchell Bland is what I want to be. And if that's a worshiper, I want to be a worshiper. If that's a singer, I want to be a singer. If that's a preacher, I want to be a preacher. If that's a soul winner, I want to be a soul winner. If that's a giver, I want to be a giver. If it's an aisle runner, I want to run the aisles. If it's a dancer, I want whatever it is, that's what I want to be. Because this is about me and God being raw before him is what this is about. As we stand in this house. So sometimes it's good to get embarrassed because we understand it's just taking ourselves away and throwing some of those things down, taking some royal robes off so we can be raw with Jesus and so he can help us and use us in powerful ways. Lord, we love you and we are so grateful to be in the kingdom of God. Thank you for this place of worship that you've given to us, Lord. Thank you for all the beautiful people that call this church home. I pray that you would bless our guests that are here. I pray that you would touch each one of us, help something from your word to get down in our hearts where we realize we don't have to come to you with some fancy words or some pretense, but we can come boldly to you, yes, but we can just simply be ourselves because you love us just like we are. I pray that you would bless each one of us. Help us, Lord, to step outside of our comfort zones. Help us, oh God, 
God to do the work of the kingdom. Let us walk through every open door that's before us. Let us hear your voice and follow the move and lead of the spirit. I pray that you bless each one. Help us to have a wonderful evening and a remainder of this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.